From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. So go after the questions. If the question is heretical, if the question seems to you even obscene, if it is a part of your urge to understand, go with those questions. You know, the things that I believe now, I didn't even entertain in my 40s. I didn't entertain them in childhood for sure. And the quest is exciting. What is religion? What is the religious impulse? Why are human beings religious? To help with that, my guest is Tom Boyd, Emeritus Professor of Philosophy and Religious Studies at the University of Oklahoma. Now he's retired and living in Santa Fe, and he's with me via Skype to talk about The Quest. His new book is Lusting for Infinity, A Spiritual Odyssey. Welcome, Professor Boyd, to Religion for Life. It's good to be with you today. Well, you know, the word religion is going through some tough times. Uh, my program's called Religion for Life, and yet uh, marketing for marketing purposes, I'm uh, tempted to change the name to Spirituality for Life or Searching for the Infinite or something, something anything other than religion. So let's start there. What, what is it about the word religion that uh, just raises the passions? Yes. One of the things that this book does is try to some extent uh, to, uh, to resuscitate religion uh, as a term. And uh, it has unfortunately gone into this crisis between the word spirituality and religion. And I don't like that because I think both are viable words. And I'm just trying to rescue it somewhat. And I know it's under fire uh, in most places so much that when I was titling my book, they insisted, the publisher insisted that I called it a spiritual odyssey, not a religious odyssey. And I, so I know what you're talking about, but I believe the word religion is still a viable term. Here's an example. We attended the Parliament of the World's Religions in October in Salt Lake City. And uh, we have attended it before. It occurs has occurred every five years. And therefore... John, the word religion is still in play. What are you going to call these? You could call them world spiritual traditions, but I do believe they, that the word religion adequately covers it, and people confuse it because they identify it with organized formal structures. And it, that, that is simply an aspect of religion. It's not the whole of it. So there you have it. So sp spirituality really isn't a synonym, then, for religion. That's, that is true. It is, in part, I think spirituality intimately relates to religion in a certain way. But I believe spirituality is broader. I believe it covers culture. I believe it covers art and morality. It's a general, a more general term. But religion is, the, as Paul Tillich says, religion is the self-transcending depth of spirituality. And uh, that's what I'm trying to kind of recover. So how let's talk about this book, Lusting for Infinity, A Spiritual Odyssey, which might have been called a religious odyssey. Uh, what, what, tell us about this book. How did you come to write it? It began in 1976. Wow. I picked up a book uh, entitled Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I could not put the book down because it was on where my field at that time was value theory in philosophy. And I used it for three years as a textbook. But what I liked is the way he did it. Because 
Value theory is a very obtuse subject to most people, but the way he did it brought it right into the living room and right, well, right onto your motorcycle. And it was, John, it was just compelling. And at that time I said, I'm going to write a book on religion about that. And then one more thing, after 11 years of teaching, I had retired from philosophy. And for 11 years, I came back and taught religious studies. When we had done that for 11 years and retired, you can't imagine the difference in my perspective on religion. It's a global phenomenon. It's richly diverse. Quit getting in our little parochial corners and thinking we have the corner on it. Uh, you know, I'm a confessing Christian, but I'm also constantly on the heretical end of that spectrum. And therefore, I believe we must look at the world's religions because we interact with them every day and in sometimes very crucial ways uh, in very destructive ways. And I want that to stop. And let's interact with each other in promising ways. That's kind of my motive. And then this, the book itself is a spiritual odyssey that takes place on a backpacking odyssey with friends and others you met along the journey, uh, and a reflection on religion as well as little um, uh, anecdotes about the person who I assume is you and your own autobiography as well. So it's a, it is really a, a pilgrim's progress of some sort, isn't it? Yes, it is. I wanted to, for a very uh, personal reason, I wanted to set it in nature my wife and I are both backpackers, and uh, several of our friends are, are as well, and we have backpacked many times. This book is a compression of about four or five different backpacks. It's not all one string, but for narrative purposes, I set it up that way. The people are all real people, but their names have been changed in the text. And I wanted to tell a story about religion that takes it out of the abstract and distancing element that often happens in discussions of religion unless you're discussing your own confessional faith. And therefore, I wanted it to be so focused on this broad question. What is religion and why does anyone in the world practice it? What's going on here? That was kind of the motivating question. A student had asked me that question after a class. He was a very bright student. He had no religious background at all. And he said, why, Tom, is there religion at all? And why would you practice it? So there I had it. And I worked on that. And that's what the that's what the book is. And that was good. my next question: is what was the essential question you wanted to do with your Odyssey? Yes, and yes, that, and that question yes. then is is asking uh, what religion. So your your book is really wrestling yourself with trying to define uh, that term. Yes, and define it in such a way that it's not uh, hooked to any one religion per se. You know, I, in the book you can probably get the general drift that I'm a Westerner and I'm a Christian. All that I don't mind that. Uh, I don't mind that I'm oriented there, but what I wanted people to do is lift their eyes and say, look, religions are phenomena in the world. Look at them and look at them as, as a deeper matter, as some, something I call a rootingness in the religious sensibility.
Yeah, I want to talk about that. Religious sensibility, an attitude of uh, sensitivity to the sacred, I, I think you wrote. I, is yes. that built in? Is that an evolutionary trait of humanity? Uh, or, or is it uh, do some people who say perhaps that they're not religious have it as well? Sure. Yeah, I do think they do in some respect. And the little vignettes I tell in the book are autobiographical, but I use no names and speak in the third person on purpose. I wasn't trying to write an autobiography, although all writing is to some extent. But what I was trying to do is get hold of this fundamental idea of if religion being elemental in our lived experience. Some people, uh, I've read, uh, for example, physicists who at the wonder of the thing, they don't know quite what to do with that. But when they get amazed by this, they are exercising the religious sensibility. They may do that even if they're not religious in any other way. So I, I think that is that is important. Uh, and I, I do believe it's an emergent property in evolution, probably. Uh, but I'm not an evolutionary theorist. I, I love to read in the theoretical world there, but I'm not an evolutionist in the theoretical sense. But, John, what I do is step back and say, okay, I believe the origin of religions are, as I put it in the book, existential. And we don't need to look at history and evolution. We got to look at the nature of who we are as critters on the earth. And if we do that, I believe we have these moments of experience. Like my earliest in the book is about by five-year-old experience of locomotives. That was not a religious experience in any formal sense. I couldn't have even explained it. But it was the deep experience of the overwhelming force of the world, of nature, of everything that comes at us, and how we have to come to terms with that without reducing it to our own little finite program. That, that's kind of where I drove it. Yeah, you know, that, that locomotive story, I remember, it was the, when the train comes and the little yes. boy goes and hides behind the house. He can't want, doesn't want the train light uh, to see yes. him. Yeah. And, and as you're telling that, and as I read that, I found my own story when I was about that same age as when we would drive along with my parents and I'd see the cliffs up ahead and concerned that the, the, the rocks saw me, they'd fall on me. So I'd hide, <laughs> under, the, hide under the car seat. No, I, I love that. See, so many people seem to, when they read my book or when they hear me speak on it, they say, uh, Tom, uh, I don't know that I've had those experiences. And I say, look, they're just simple, early childhood experiences. And they don't just end there, of course, they begin there. And so I believe we have that potency in us, but it comes to articulation through experiences just like you shared. I, I, that's a great one. And it's, it goes through our lifetime, but in different magnitudes, as it were. Tom Boyd is my guest. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, he's the author of Lusting for Infinity, a spiritual odyssey, a trip of his own work to discover uh, the words of religion and what religion might be and the religious experience and the religious uh, uh, orientation or sensibility, as well as it connects with a backpacking trip. Uh, you switched from philosophy, or you said you changed at one point from philosophy to religion. Well, what was that different? Was that different in terms of teaching for you, moving from yes, that different subject? Well, it was uh, to, uh, to a major degree, but I didn't know it at the time. I taught philosophy of religion along with my general value theory at uh, in the philosophy department for 29 years. And then I took early retirement to go to Denver where my wife was a pastor. 
and and then they invited us back to found the Religious Studies Program in 2002 after 9-11. And for those 11 years, John, it was like a transformation of my whole view of the thing. I found myself saturated with religions other than my own who have those parallel drivers and depth of interest. And I wanted to grasp that in some way. So those 11 years are very important to me. Well, and in, in that raised the question as I'm reading, as you mentioned in your book, uh, about the, the academic study of a topic and, and religion uh, requires a person, and maybe all subjects do, but religion especially requires a subjectivity as well. Exactly. Well stated. I appreciate that very much because when I read and have taught several times uh, William James' Varieties of Religious Experience, he grounds it so experientially, ultimately uh, leading to a kind of mystical mode of religion. But at the same time, he knows that if you don't have centrally the subjective element in it, you don't have religion. I believe that. I even believe that if I were trying to study oh, art of any kind, or, uh, and I think in a certain way studying science has a strong subjective element. I've even argued before, I don't know whether I believe this, but I love to argue, so it, I've argued before that there's no such thing as objectivity because even what we call objectivity is still out of our subjective capacity and limited by that. And therefore, the best we can do is intersubjective agreement. And I don't know whether I really go that far, but I'm trying to help my science friends to open up a little bit to their own subjectivity. <laughs> now, um, you, you have four movements in your book, uh, orientation exploration, formation, and transformation. Is there a significance to four? Uh, not, uh, no, I didn't do a numerological analysis <laughs> to get there. But I, I, you know, I, I, go ahead. I, <laughs> I notice uh, I tend to move in uh, threes and fours. And when I'm lecturing, I, I try not to reduce it to three points in a poem, but often it turns in that kind of direction are four points. Carl Jung argued that it has to be a fourth dimension. And I, since Einstein, I think, well, maybe. But I did not do it in that way. I just realized as I was writing, I was making that kind of movement. Well, you know, I just I, I was just musing about that because I, I was thinking of the the four Gospels. Well, of course, there are four. Uh, what was yes. it, Irenaeus or something? Because there are four winds and four corners of the earth. There's four. And then I was thinking of Matthew Fox and creation spirituality, and I was oh, connecting yeah. that too with uh, his last, you know, path, his transformation, creativity, and so forth. And so there's almost um, not make a whole lot of it, but that it's in a sense it is an aspect of of the spiritual path, the religious I, I path. I think you're right. I do think you're right. That was not my conscious motivator, but I've, I've not studied the, the books that you indicated by Matthew Fox, but I've studied him, you know, creation, spirituality, mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, and uh, I found him very useful. My wife and I have heard him lecture, but I think probably sometimes, and Carl Jung would say this, I believe, you just fall into the fourth, <laughs> you know, fall into these elements. So I think it's a good question. It's one I can reflect further on. 
One of the places that you uh, start with uh, is, is fear. Fear caused the gods is one of the quotes that you use. And, and there is some truth to that. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the story of uh, Carlton Pearson of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma, nearby you, I suppose, who was a pastor of a 5,000-member church, um, lost most of his congregation when he suggested that he doubted the existence of hell as a place of eternal oh, I torment. Remember, him. remember yes, that guy? Him. Yeah, and his, his peers said he, he is a heretic, and he lost most of his congregation. It seems that if it isn't for fear of hell, why bother? Father going to church. Oh, yes. You know, my my mother used that argument once. She was very devout, very traditional. And she used that argument when she heard on the radio someone saying there is no hell. Well, then she just said blooded, bluntly, why be good? Huh. And I thought, yeah. Mercy. Are you only doing what you're doing piously so that you won't drop in the pit? It's crazy. And, uh, so I just gave that up. I gave that up when I thought I, I realized that hell is inconsistent with the love of God. <laughs> yeah. But is, is there something primary about fear that would cause yes. people to have a religious sensibility or religion or something? I think it's just primary to life mm-hmm. because the world is big. And that little five-year-old locomotive experience is motivated by fear. I run to the back door and hide. And, uh, I do that repeatedly because something is bigger than I am and I cannot grasp it. And, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Rudolf Otto's book, The Idea of the Holy, that had moved me years ago. He said it's on the one hand, he used Latin, but on the one hand, it's fascinating. And on the one hand, it's terrifying. On the other hand, it's terrifying. In other words, we're caught between the draw of religion and the and the anxiety, profound anxiety, of having to deal with the scope of things. And, uh, you know, and that's the reason I don't use God a lot in the text, because that little monosyllable drives people into all kinds of corners, positively or negatively. And I'm not against using the term, but I think the term has been so widely used and abused that I wanted to deal with it only minimally. And so that's what I did. And and, and so, so instead of the word God, which might be a, a relatively Western Abrahamic term anyway, you use uh, the word infinite. Is that right? Lust for? That's, that's true. I didn't use it as a synonym. I used it as, a, as kind of a, an alternative, larger framing of the question. And it can be... You know, I think for a great number of people, uh, God is a synonym or for the infinite or the infinite for God. And uh, I just didn't want to to go directly there and argue that. I just said, okay, I'm going to use infinite. Now, I have a couple of friends uh, here in Santa Fe who really argue with me that I'm using the wrong word because the infinite is a mathematical term and a spatial term. One of them is a physicist and another is a biologist. And I just say, no, the religious tradition has had a long history of using the infinite. It usually is employed in relation to God, but I think it is a term that can be used. It is that which is unbounded. And I don't care where it shows. It it shows up in my life every day. You know, when we take our walks on the desert out here, you know, you can just feel the grandeur and massiveness Massive doesn't even get hold of it. And so, John, I don't, I don't know how 
to reduce it in the way that people do. Here's the reason. Nearly everyone who has a theology of God start with this premise. God is incomprehensible. Then they go on for pages to show how they comprehend him (laughs) or her. And I say, wait a minute. If God is incomprehensible, allow the incomprehensible, the mystery of it. Allow it. Quit trying to capture it in a corner because when you do, you always diminish it. That's what I believe. You know, um, I remember uh, reading somewhere, and I can't remember where it was, but it was Joseph Campbell, and I'm just paraphrasing him. Paraphrasing him. Yeah. He, he thought, uh, he imagined the first self-conscious thought of, uh, of a human being saying, I am, uh, wonderful elation and all of that, I am. And then he said, quickly following that was the second self-conscious thought, one day I will not be, <laughs> and <laughs> thus religion. <laughs> it's- I, think, I think that is a part of it. I did not want to focus on death. I've worked on death a great deal. In fact, probably the most important book I have ever read is The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. Mm. It just knocked me over when I read it uh, back when I was in my 40s. And I, so I, I know it's a, it's a biggie. But I didn't want to just focus there because people will think they just want a safe passage after death. You know, that's all it's about. No, 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 no. It is not just about that. It is about how we live that tension that Joseph Campbell just said. How do we live that tension? I am alive. There is death. That is, I am finite, and that's the severe limit of it. I'm always limited. I'm limited in so many ways. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, I can expand my vision, John. And, and realize that the unbounded is the, is the kind of envelope of existence, although that is, there's no word that captures it very well for me. But something like that. Yeah. Um, and so this idea of, of fear or of whether it might be of death or whatever it is, is, is all part of this uh, human condition of the finite hitting, exactly. hitting the infinite. I, that's true. Uh, my wife and I walk on the desert uh, when the weather permits. We walk almost daily, and we see rattlesnakes all the time. I am afraid of rattlesnakes. You know, it's a real fear, and when I see one, I take take caution. I'm not in horror about it. I just know I have to give them space, and we do that. But fear is an elemental thing. It's because there are real dangers in the world. And I believe we have to attend those. And I have fears. I I said to a man once who said, you've got to live fearlessly. And I said, that's nonsense. I said, if you walk out this door and face a full-grown lion and not be afraid, you don't understand the situation. (laughs) In other words, fear is elemental. I do think that it can be, um, oh, so obsessive in us that it paralyzes. I do think that can happen. And many people do. And I believe, therefore, we've got to conquer fear. Uh, in, but you have to do it by risk. Uh, I wrote a little piece to myself in my journal last night. And I, it, I think, you know, I, I don't want to live fierce, in a, a fearful state. I want to live in a risk-taking state. And I believe that's the heart of what I mean when I use the word faith. Faith is a trust in spite of your doubts, to quote one of our theologians. 
And I, you know, and so I wrestled right along that fault line. If I could tell you this very quickly. Yes. This student came to me and she was Jewish and she had never read uh, the Hebrew scripture. And she said, I want to read it. Can I read it? So I worked with her some. And I said, you should go to a rabbi. She said, no, I will not do that. I said, okay. And so I set up some readings and she came back. She said, I hate this book. I said, why? She said, it's all about the fear of God. They just talk about fearing God all the time. And I went into the the kind of depth at which the word fear is being used in the Hebrew. And uh, some Hebrew scholars tell me that fear is closer to respect, reverence, deference. It is, that's what it means, the fear of the Lord. Not in our modern use of the word, fear bending on paranoia and terror. That's crazy. But to fear the Lord is to know that which is so beyond you, you will never grasp it, but which you are in which you are contained, something of that sort. And so I talked with her and I said, move on, you can read it. <laughs> and uh-huh. she, she worked on it for a long time. So it, there's, there's a sense of which wonder might be a word, but that isn't that, I don't know if that's big enough, but it's that yes. a feeling of uh, a breathlessness. Uh, you can kind of yes. catch the Grand Canyon perhaps, or, or looking exactly. into space and realizing the frustration of knowing how amazing that is. And you're just not going to be able to know it. <laughs> no, you're not. And we never will. We can be open toward it. And uh-huh. you know, I, I've been uh, working, reading, teaching, thinking, and my wife have endless conversations on matters of this sort. But, you know, I don't believe that I will ever grasp it, but I'm grasped by it. You know, I'm just caught up in it, and I I still like it. <laughs> we, just, we just have about a minute left. My guest is Dr. Sure. Tom Boyd, uh, uh, professor of emeritus of philosophy and religion at uh University of Oklahoma. His book is Lusting for Infinity, a Spiritual Odyssey. So the book is completed. It's on the shelf. And I would imagine you, like other authors, particularly with this topic, are thinking, there's more I needed to write here. And you're still, and you mentioned just now that you're still writing in your journal. Uh, what questions are still there for you? Well, I'm pursuing some of the questions uh, that I have pursued in the book and just extending my understanding of them. But I'm also working on uh, a number of other uh, issues these days, particularly uh, in relationship to global culture and issues of global culture and how religion plays into into that relationship. That's the reason I think the Parliament of the World's Religions is so important. And because we're really probing, uh, where do we connect in our religious differences? How do we work in a global sense rather than a parochial sense? And uh, that's, that's questioning that I'm doing quite a bit now. And I have some other areas that I'm going into. I'm, I'm thinking of writing a little monograph on the uh, Beatitudes. They've moved me for 40 years. I think they're constantly overlooked or just pinned on walls uh, to give sayings. And I think there's, there's depth in there, and I want to probe it. Uh, one final question then, um, you, for your students and with this book, what do you uh, hope to encourage people to do? I, I think more than any other sing, single thing, realize that faith and trust invites open inquiry. It does not invite a shutdown and a finality. 
So go after the questions. If the question is heretical, if the question seems to you even obscene, if it is a part of your urge to understand, go with those questions. You know, the things that I believe now, I didn't even entertain in my 40s. I didn't entertain them in childhood for sure. And the quest is exciting. You know, I like I like meeting mm. people who have different uh, traditions, different angles on the traditions. Go for it. You know, don't be afraid of it. It's not alien to your deepest trust. It is an exercise of it. Uh, go for it. And I would suggest you go for this book, Lusting for Infinity, A Spiritual Odyssey. Uh, Dr. Boyd, thank you so much for this book and for being with me today. I appreciate it very much. You can get a study guide for Tom Boyd's Lusting for Infinity at Mercury Academic Publishing. A link will be posted on the Religion for Life website. Religionforlife.com is the place to go for podcasts and information about the program. Heard on radio stations in the Southeast and produced by KBOO in Portland, Oregon. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Shack. Be well.